Alrighty, we're going to read the Bible now. You see on the screen there, our first reading is Matthew chapter 25. Let's give you a bit of a moment and myself to flick up to that. And we're starting at verse 31. Okay, Matthew chapter 5. Verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. Then the King will come to those on His right then, then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? Then the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord... When did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Okay, next Bible reading. 1 Timothy chapter 5, so if you flick towards the back of your Bibles, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5 and we're starting at verse 3. Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. The widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. Give the people these instructions so that no one 
may be open to blame. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. No widow may be put on the list of widows unless she is over 60, has been faithful to her husband and is well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the Lord's people, helping those in trouble and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. As for younger widows, do not put them on such a list. For when their sensual desires overcome their dedication to Christ, they want to marry. Thus they bring judgment on themselves because they have broken their first pledge. Besides, they get into the habit of being idle and going about from house to house. And not only do they become idlers, but also busybodies who talk nonsense, saying things they ought not to. So I counsel younger widows to marry to have children, to manage their homes and to give the enemy no opportunity for slander. Some have in fact already turned away to follow Satan. If any woman who is a believer has widows in her care, she should continue to help them and not let the church be burdened with them so that the church can help those widows who are really in need. The elders who direct the affairs of church well are worthy of double honour especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For Scripture says, Do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. Came up here. All right. Um, now, before we get to this, I know you're all excited. I just want to add uh, some words uh, about our brother Pete. Uh, many of you will not know that Pete and Sonia have been connected with our church, not just for the ten and a half years we've employed uh, Pete uh, most recently, but every week in our early days of our church, they would travel up, uh, do our kids' church, be on Good News Week, lead Good News Week, uh, they've been to more Good News Week than every, anyone else here, maybe except for me. Uh, and, uh, and so, yes, yeah, so they've been just a core part of our church for 21 years. I'm delighted that the Cheng family uh, are hoping to stay around. Uh, and please, yeah, pray, a job, pray for a job or offer them uh, a job in the local area. That would be a great blessing to all of us. Um, but I just want to testify to their love for you. Uh, and Pete's love for you, and I, I get to see that uh, very close up. Uh, and Pete's been operating in a, a changing space for ten and a half years. So some ministries are more like a dam, and some ministries are like a river. Uh, Next gen ministry is like a river. What do I mean by that? Uh, that is, there's a constant kind of flow of kids that you know come into our care, grow up, and and quite possibly will move away from us. And so we have them for a time and we have an opportunity to shape them. But one of the, one of the griefs of that ministry is it's ever-changing. And you get great leaders and then they move on or they buy a house in Tamworth. Or, uh, and, and so there's just this changing... And so, so Pete's been reinventing himself in the ministries and growing these ministries for ten and a half years... 
uh, and he's done it out of a, a real love for Jesus and a love for you uh, and this church family. And we really want to honour uh, him. And so we'll have a chance to do that in coming weeks, but I just wanted to put that out there because I think Pete's role is like one of those quiet achiever in the background, but constantly uh, on the go, constantly committed to us. And, and it's so great, even, even in these last few weeks, as Pete's uh, raised this news with me and the other pastoral team, just to see his deep longing and heart for the gospel message and for what we're doing uh, here as a church. He's still very committed to that, uh, but he'll just play a different part uh, in the mix of that in the years to come. So um, let me uh, just set up here, um, transition to my talk, uh, and what I've got here is a jar, right? Jar is centre stage, uh, and different bits and pieces near the jar. Um, is that gonna, I might try to get that on the screen, that jar, because you you're excited to see what's going on here, aren't you? Um, there you go. I, I raided my, uh, the, the toy box. Uh, so jar represents your life and your capacity in life. Um, now, you've, some of you have seen, you know, seen this idea before. Um, but so, so this jar represents your life and your capacity. So your capacity emotionally... Uh, in terms of your energies, your resources, your money, right? And, and, and the jar's got limited capacity. So, you know, you drift through life and you get, you get married uh, and so, you know, joins your life. You have a kid that grows up, uh, a couple babies. These are twins, these two. See this little two? There you go. Pop them in there. Uh, you need a house and the house comes with an extra child, apparently. Uh, this is the best I could do for a house. And you start to feel like life's, you know, life's filling up. Phone, old school phone, you can't afford an expensive phone. Uh, a bit of, um, these are sun bites, right? Let's put them in. This is food, right? Food. You've got to pay for food and stuff like that. And then other things, you know, baby stuff. Anyway, you get the idea. You might buy a barbecue. And you start to, you know, you, but you start to feel like, oh, wow, my capacity is filling up. But there's a whole lot of other things that you know, I'm, I'm interested in, like owning a car. Um, now, this car's a bit, bit oversized, probably, in terms of the capacity thing, so I'll leave that out. But you've got to pay for petrol for the car as well. And then you think, well, my phone, I'd really like an iPhone. Uh, so you pop that in there. Uh, and four-wheel drive, maybe later. Caravan, yeah, that, that can come later in life. Uh, but Netflix, uh, yeah, pop Netflix in. Um, anyway, a whole lot of choices. Minecraft, I don't know why you do that. Disney Plus, Spotify, Fitness First. Oh, no, I can't fit that. A dog. I they're so cute as puppies, aren't they, dogs? And so you just go, surely that won't make much of a difference to my life, hey? Just a little puppy, what difference could that make? Uh, anyway, and a bit of sport, boat. There's a monkey even, but I don't know if anyone... And there's a, there's a lion, right? Um, but... You're not going to put that in your life, right? Just keep that out is a recommendation. Then, whew, you start to feel, right, okay, you know, I can handle all this. But then comes a bunch of other things. And I've got them up the back here. A bunch of other things, like causes, that are good causes. Um, I can't see what these are exactly. So you've got, you know, Save the Children, the McGrath Foundation, Cancer Council, Compassion Australia, one of our partners, World Vision, 
Um, oh, the Lakes Church. Yeah, that's a good one. We'll put that one. Actually, we'll put that one in there. Uh, <laughs> uh, but then you go, wow, I'd love, to, I'd love to commit to many of those things. And please, these are not to scale, right? You know, so Netflix, I put that as a big chunky one. You know, what is it? $15 a month or something. Like, it's not going to kill you. But you add a few of these together and they start to add up. Don't anyway, anyway, so it's just illustrative. It's not to scale. I understand that. Um, but pretty soon you get to a point where you go, wow, I'm, pre- I'm feeling pretty full up in the things that I'm committing to in terms of my energy, my time, my money. I just feel at capacity. I don't, but there's still other things that I'd love to give myself to. Now, what do you do at this point? Have a word to the person next to you, right? What do you do at this point? And the answer is not to fill it up with water, right? We're not going to go there. What do, you, what do you do at this point? Okay. What are we going to do, right? What are we going to do? We've got a dilemma. There's lots of good things I would like to give myself to, but I've only got a certain amount of capacity, and yet there's things sitting there that I go, I'd so love to commit to them as well. What do you do? Prioritize. Okay. Step one, prioritize. All right, let's start with that. Right, and then we'll come back to another thing after that. But but prioritize or repack. Uh, that's where we're going to start. Um, so we want to free up some room in the jar, right? So I'm not going to do that, but maybe anyway. Anyway, we'll think about that in just a moment. Um, get rid of some of the things that were nice, but now on reflection they're not necessary. Um, and and you've got to realize that saying yes to one thing is saying no to another thing. And so you get to a point where you get full up in life where you actually have to be quite thoughtful about what you choose to say yes to because by implication you are saying no to another good thing. But how do you choose? How do you prioritise? Now I want to give you four, what, four priorities that have come from biblical reflection uh, and I'm, I'm keen to open up discussion. I, we're probably not going to have time for questions today, but if you want to talk to me or get a discussion going, I think there's more to say what I'm, than what I'm going to say, but I'm going to have a crack at starting with what our brother Peter suggested, and that is prioritise. So here we go. Creating capacity, firstly, rethink your priorities. Um, and first one is prioritise Jesus over self-indulgence. Now, that's an easy one. That's kind of Christianity 101. Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. Right? The Christian life is not about you. It's about Jesus. And just as he walked the road to the cross in a costly, self-giving way, that's what he calls on us to do, to take up our cross and follow. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says... Don't worry about, you know, what, we, what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear. Your heavenly Father knows you need these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. 
Right? He's, it's not necessarily talking about Minecraft and Mingara One, and, but, but, but what it's saying is, you know, the essentials in life, your heavenly Father knows you need those things and make sure you, my followers, prioritise the kingdom. Have an eternal mindset in view. Uh, here's another one, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. Christ died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So we're saved by Christ, by his death, but the goal is, Jesus' intention was that we would not live for ourselves any longer, but for him. Uh, That we'd give up self-centred living and live for the Lord Jesus. So this is a really good place to start. How can I remove some of the things in my life that are limiting my capacity for generosity? Uh, And so let me give you, you know, let's let's have some examples. Netflix, right? I might say I'm gonna I'm gonna move that because I can watch free-to-air TV. My great ancestors used to do that, and maybe I can I can return to actually Channel Seven, Channel Nine, whatever it is. Uh, gym membership. I, I could actually get a few mates around or a few friends and we'll, you know, buy some weights or, you know, and, and we'll, let's do it together. Social kind of, you know, Jimmy sort of thing. Overseas holiday, maybe I'll go camping instead. For parents, we need to think, how many extracurricular activities do I really need my kids to do? Uh, how many sports and then, you know... Uh, what is it? Music lessons and tutor, and, and, and how much of my life is just going to be spent running around to different parts of the coast? Uh, got to think about that. Clothes. Uh, why not wear last year's fashion? Um, I've been doing this for decades, right? Uh, and I find that over time they come back into fashion and people think I'm cutting edge when I'm actually way... Anyway, um, haircut. My wife has been, uh, I don't know if you should be proud of this, I haven't been to a barber for, uh, since Daniel was born, right? He was born on the day, I think John Howard was elected, I couldn't vote because, uh, anyway, it was all an emergency situation, I got a haircut sometime in that time. Since then, Ruth has cut my hair and it hasn't changed a bit, has it? It's just still as vibrant, as young as it, um, all right, um, now, look, I'm not, I don't want to be prescriptive, just suggestive. Uh, and all I'm doing is saying, hey, let's... Because let's, these are the easy things. What I've just mentioned are the easy things. Let me tell you, you get a dog. Uh, let's, a dog, you know, and you see it in the, in, the, in the shop. And you think, how cute. I've got a bigger dog here, actually. So you, so you can see without the video. There it is. This one even, um, you give it a tic-tac and you shake its tail and it pops out. Uh, I've noticed. I've noticed. Um, anyway, so you get a dog and you think, yeah, okay, there'll be boundaries, you know, and it's just a puppy. And then it works its way into, into the hearts of every member of your family, into your house, into your own heart. And you can't cancel a subscription uh, on a dog, right? That would be just cruel. And, and so, you know, you just, so whereas Netflix, you can cancel it and, and there's not, not going to be t- the same sort of tears. Well, hopefully. Uh, anyway, all right, so that's, that's that one. Um, buying a house is another one, isn't it? Where, wow, it will be a blessing. So I'm not saying I love my dog, right? I'm not having a go at dogs. I'm just saying 
there's, there's an impact on these decisions that we make uh, and we need to be thoughtful as we step into a decision that it's probably going to be a bigger decision than we think we're entering. It will limit your holidays, having a dog. Uh, it will cost you a lot. Anyway, house. Go, come to a house. Uh, again, what a blessing owning a house is in Australia. And for those of us who have that privilege, uh, it is an incredible blessing uh, and something that, you know, hopefully in time we'll be able to pass something on to our next generation. Um, but we know that buying a house will chew up a lot of your capacity. Even renting chews up a lot of your capacity. So this house is probably disproportionate, isn't it? It's, it's a bigger part of our capacity, isn't it? Um, and I know that some of you are feeling really stretched right now, especially first home buyers who kind of got in a few years ago, a couple of years ago, uh, and now you're feeling like, man, those interest rates have just kept rising and it is a tough time if you're in that situation, uh, really feeling the pressure. And I, I'm, I, I feel for you. It's, it's a tough place to be in. So a word of advice to the young or to the free. Uh, and here's my word of advice. As much as possible, get your priorities right before you overcommit. Right? Get your priorities right before you pack too much in because it is painful to reorder. It really is. To actually start taking things out and reordering is a painful thing. So when, when you find that there is a little capacity, don't quickly fill it up with the next thing that comes along. Right? Just get your priorities right and then start putting things in your life. Um, so that's a word from me, a word from C.S. Lewis uh, that I just thought I'd throw in. I do not believe one can settle how much one ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. Uh, in other words, if our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusements, etc. is up to the common standard among those with the same income as our own, we're probably giving away too little. That's just a little rule of thumb from the guy who wrote uh, Narnia and so on. Uh, and we're not just talking about money, we're talking about time and energy as well. Prioritise following Jesus over self-indulgence, first one. Secondly, prioritise the eternal work of Jesus over social causes. Uh, so Jesus said to us, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. There are so many good causes out there in our world. Um, and... Uh, you know, and, they, and they pull on our time, our energy, and so on. But Jesus made very clear that growing disciples is to be our priority. We're to be disciples of Jesus who are committed to making more disciples of Jesus and building up and growing disciples of Jesus. That's why our church vision is about seeing a flood of disciples. You know, and... and Praise God, we've seen a steady stream uh, in this last little while. Uh, but everything we do in church is connected with that disciple-making vision that was given to us by Jesus. Even the admin committee. So the admin committee who look after the finances and assets and budgets and um, stuff of our church. I met with the admin committee this week and you might think their primary job is 
writing reports, policies, budgets, risk management, all that sort of stuff. But their primary job is about supporting, protecting, and enhancing our ability as a church community to make and grow disciples. Right? And, and when the admin committee loses connection with that goal, they've stopped doing their job properly. Right? So the, the goal is to fuel the vision of our church and so make decisions regarding our finances and assets that actually will promote, protect and enhance uh, our, our disciple-making efforts. And this is an eternal work that will have an eternal impact. So we saw this in 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul says, Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Right? As we, everything else we do in life... Has a, has a limited time span, a use-by date. But as we share the good news of Jesus and pray for one another and encourage each other to the end, that work will bear eternal fruit. What Pete's been doing amongst our kids and next generation will bear fruit not just in this life, but eternally. Uh, and... So, yes, yeah, so prioritise the eternal work of Jesus over social causes. Now, I'm going to have an aside, right? Just bear with me, because Halloween is uh, coming up this week. Um, and let me tell you where Halloween comes from. Hundreds of years ago, Christians in Europe celebrated All Saints Day right, uh, on the 1st of November each year, All Saints Day. Um, the old English term for All Saints... All Hallows Day, right? So 1st of November, All Hallows Day. What does that make the night before? All Hallows Eve uh, or Halloween. So there it is. Uh, so that's where Halloween comes from. Um, and the idea is, it's an, so All Saints Day was an opportunity to remember all those great men and women of the faith who lived their lives for Christ and are now dead. Uh, but they will be there with us at the resurrection. Uh, in the, they're now with Jesus and, and we will be joined together with them. So that was All Saints Day. All Hallows Eve was the night before. Um, and for those with religious superstition, Halloween had a little bit of a, a scary edge to it. Uh, and that was because we're, about, we're coming into the night of the day when we remember dead people. You know, and, and, and so there was these associations with the undead and ghosts uh, and all that sort of stuff. Uh, there was these superstitions about the world of the unknown uh, on Halloween. So, coming fast forward to today, um, I've got two, a couple of reflections about Halloween. One is, I think we've got to be careful not to trivialise death and the forces of evil. Um, our kids dress up as ghosts, witches, zombies, and I just want, we Christians of all people, we recognise there's a reality to the dark, unknown world beyond what we can see. It's out of our control and our power, uh, and so it's not something to kind of play around with. But on the other hand, um, we don't need to be terrified about those things 
because Jesus has won the victory. Without him, death and evil should scare us, but Jesus takes the terror out of death and out of the forces of evil. And so, so you see those two poles of mistakes, trivialising it all or becoming terrified of it all. And, and the people who trivialise it or, or are terrorised by it are people who don't know the eternal hope of the gospel of Jesus. That, that, that yes, there are these supernatural forces, but Jesus has won the victory over them. But there will come a day when we will stand face to face before the Lord Jesus. And I think Halloween today is a symptom of our world that um, is very much living for the here and now, not thinking about eternal things. So even when we talk about death and, and ghosts and stuff, we do it with, with a laugh and we don't take it kind of seriously. And yet we dread what might come after death. Um, but Jesus calls us to prioritise eternal things. We are different uh, from our community because we have an eternal view on things. So there you go. I've tried to bring Halloween into the sermon. You can decide whether that was a good fit or not. Um, point number three, prioritise the needs of our church over the needs of our broader community. So we heard in the Bible reading from Pete, a uh, very challenging parable when Jesus says, when I was hungry... You gave, me something to eat. Uh, you gave me something to eat, I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink, I was a stranger, you invited me in, I needed clothes, you clothed me, I was ill, you looked after me. And they'll say, uh, when, when? We don't remember you coming into our home. And he says, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, you did for me. And Jesus, to others, Jesus will say on the last day, I was hungry and you gave me nothing. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me in. And they'll say, when? We don't remember. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, you did not do for me. Now, it's an incredibly challenging parable, isn't it? Um, But at the heart of it is how we treat our brothers and sisters in Jesus. Uh, How we treat the church. Uh, It's about the brothers and sisters of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is us. Um, Jesus' parable reminds us again that generosity is not just about financial giving, it's about hospitality, practical acts of love and care, but it also points us towards a priority towards the children of God or the family of God. So Galatians 6.10 says something along the same lines. As we have opportunity, let's do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. So can you see that it's a big call to do good to all, but there's an especially, especially those who belong to the family of believers. Um, And just a reflection on this, over the years, we as a church have applied for a number of grants from the government, from federal, state, local government, uh, and we, it, on paper, it looks like we've got a really good chance of getting one of these grants and we go to all this effort and we lay the case and I'll meet with the local members and they're surprised by what we've got going on. We kind of stay under the radar a bit, I think, for, for the politicians and so on. But they see the good stuff that's going on and they are, they are impressed uh, and encouraged. 
Um, but each time we put in an application, uh, we just kind of get a no. Now, we, got, we did get one uh, for the street food fair, you know, with the multicultural festival earlier this year. But even then, the grant comes with really strict, with, with restrictions. And so they'll say, yes, you can have some money as long as you don't promote your religion. Uh, and so... It's like saying, yes, you can do something as a church as long as you're not trying to fulfill the Great Commission. Uh, and you just go, but that's, that's our very raison d'etre. Uh, that's, you know, that's our reason for being. I just threw that French in just for the sake of it. Uh, that's our reason for being. Uh, and yet, this is more and more, this is what's happened. That, that the government, when it gives money to religious organisations, it comes with strings attached that you can't carry out the great commission of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, And it's just a reminder that if we Christians, if we churches don't prioritise the gospel of Jesus, no one will. Because who else is going to give time? The government's not going to do it anymore. Uh, Who else is going to give time and energy and money to this cause of the gospel? if not us. Fourthly, prioritise the work of this church over other churches out there. Now, I, I feel like this is a bit you know, edgy, so let me... Because, um, you know, of course I'd say this. I'm the pastor of this church, uh, self-interest, all that sort of stuff. Uh, although I do want to point out that no matter how much money goes in the, the plate or the offertory or whatever, we don't have a plate. We've got boxes or you can give electronically. But no matter how much money, my, my income stays the same unless we just don't make enough at all and then you know you'd have to cut my income but thankfully over the church life we haven't had that anyway all right so let me what, what's my point righto prioritize the work of this church over other churches out there so have a look at 1 timothy chapter 5 verse 8 paul says anyone who does not provide for their own for their relatives especially their own household has denied the faith and is worth is worse than an unbeliever. Now we heard the context earlier. There were widows in the church of Corinth, uh, in church of Ephesus, whose husbands had died or abandoned them. And without a system of social security, the widows were incredibly vulnerable people. And so church would step in and ensure those widows were cared for, provided for, and so on. But If those widows had children who were also part of the church, then the children, well, they ought to provide for them. You take responsibility for your own immediate family. That's the kind of principle at play. And I take it the principle applies to us as a church as well. That is, there are all sorts of needs and opportunities to give beyond us, but we have a primary responsibility for this household that you're part of, the Lakes Church. If you're a member of the Lake, or if you're a visitor, hope you're you know, committed to your own church, or if you're checking things out, just keep checking things out. But if you're a member of the Lakes, this is your church family. Uh, and if we don't provide for the needs of this church, who will? There's no handouts uh, out there uh, that we will be receiving. So 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, the worker deserves his wages, And so there's a a responsibility on us to provide for the needs of our own church family. 
So there you have four sets of priorities as we think about where to direct our giving. Prioritise Jesus over self-indulgence, eternal work of of Jesus over social causes, the needs of our church over the needs of the broader community, the work of this church over the work of other churches out there. And, and my principle that I keep coming up with is, if we don't prioritise these things, who do we think will? Uh, there's a primary responsibility on us. And I want to encourage you to start with the easy wins. Some ordering of your priorities will be hard, but just start off with the easy wins and work at the bigger ones over time. Um, but I hope you feel a danger in all of this. Do you feel a little unsettled? I hope, I hope you do. The danger is, by prioritising one thing, we might neglect another thing. Do, do you feel that? Um, and so here's, I, I just want to add this, to say priorities are no excuse to neglect compassion. Um, We mustn't use priorities as an excuse for stinginess. Just because we prioritise the spread of the gospel doesn't mean we neglect other social causes. Just because we prioritise the needs of our church doesn't mean we ignore the other needs out there uh, of our community or of other churches. Now, I reckon you see this in the story of the Good Samaritan where you've got the the priest and the Levite and they're walking along the road and they see a half-dead guy on the side of the road. And you just go, and, and there's this this thinking going on in their heads. And I think I think they're thinking priorities. And that is, we're servants of God. We're about to go to the temple. We're about to do holy duty. Uh, but if we get involved in this messy situation, then we'll become unclean, unfit to serve in the house of God. Uh, and so in their rationalising in their own brains, they are, they are able to walk, they justify walking on the other side of the road and heading on their way. Hopefully someone else will clean up the mess. And the whole point of Jesus' parable is there's something faulty in their thinking. Something so different from the big-hearted compassion and generosity of God and his son Jesus and so in their so-called godly priorities they neglect compassion and the urgent needs of this man this fellow Israelite lying on the ground in front of them so unlike Jesus so Jesus lived out priorities without losing compassion but I want to tell you it was costly it really cost him dearly so He lived in this tension. The sick, the lame, the blind, the demon-possessed, the outcast, they flocked to Jesus because he had the ability to heal them and make them whole. And they hungered for that. And he does heal. He does keep meeting the needs of a broken, sick community. But it was exhausting for Jesus um, remember Jesus said, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. I remember reading through the Gospels and, and a few years ago here at church, and I, I remember thinking, wow, 
I see what he's saying. Because you see, he jumps into a boat to escape the crowds, goes over to the other side, and there's the demon-possessed guy. And he has to heal this guy. And then the crowds say, no, 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 you're too powerful for us. Go. And so he goes over the other side, and then there's a crowd waiting for him. And it's, it was just a relentless string of people lining up because Jesus was a man who could bring real help. Uh, and so there was just no shortage of people keen to have a piece of the action. Uh, he has no place to lay his head because wherever he turned, people were crying out for help. He had such a big heart of compassion, but it was exhausting. And yet even for Jesus, in the midst of all that, his priorities would ultimately drive him forward. He was able to keep showing compassion, but he would turn aside from the crowds to preach the gospel. And ultimately, he would turn aside from the crowds to head towards Jerusalem and towards the cross. Because Jesus knew that whilst there were needs of people that he could meet now, there was an eternal need, a greater need, that only could be met through his sacrificial death on the cross. And so Jesus resolutely sets his face towards Jerusalem and even walks away from so much immediate need because he's driven by eternal needs. He has a compassion that, that recognises our eternal need to be right with God and to be cleansed and, forgiving and forgiven. And so for us, he breaks the power of Satan and sin and darkness and opens up the doorway to eternal life. So priorities are no excuse to neglect compassion. We must never commit to priorities in a cold-hearted way. Or I think the way our world sometimes talks about it is being boundaried. Uh, And I think some of us need to think about boundaries, but we can overplay that, can't we? where actually our boundaries become an excuse for being able to say no to really genuine opportunities for compassion. It's just not easy, is it? Um, But allow, allow compassion and priorities to go hand in hand, right? We've got to hold on to both just like Jesus did. Now, we've tried to capture this in our church values. So, number six of our church values, we worship a God of immense grace. He wants us to be generous, generous to the work of the gospel, not just generous to the ministries of the lakes, but generous to the mission beyond the lakes. You know, and, and, and we just live in that tension where we've got stuff we need to do here, but we're also part of an incredibly affluent part of the world. And there's so much that good that we can do for our brothers and sisters throughout the world. Uh, and so let's, in our, in our focus on what we're doing, let's not neglect the bigger picture of what God is doing. All right, so, so that was big. That was my first point. My second point is really short, right? I assure you. The, big, the first point is, right, you think, oh, I haven't got any capacity. I'm going to rethink my priorities, Um, And the second point is, expand your capacity, which I don't think I've captured. Anyway, so see down the bottom, just imagine that said, 
expand your capacity, right? Here, look at this. Get a bigger jar. How, how easy is that? You watch this. You get a bigger jar, and you just go, I can even fit this dog in, maybe. Uh, anyway, so, so it's, not, it's not quite that easy, is it? And, and, and I've got an even bigger jar, but I thought that was overwhelming. But this is a, like a Jesus, that's like a Jesus-like jar, and I didn't want to overwhelm you. So now, now so I, I think the upgrade is a little bit over the top, um, but I think this is what growing up is about. It's actually saying, here I am, a person of little capacity, but God wants to grow my capacity uh, throughout life for doing good. Um, and, and at this point... We've got to stop watching Jesus as spectators and follow him and, and, and become followers of Jesus. See, a spectator sits in the stands and watches Jesus and goes, wow, how amazing is Jesus? And that's right to do, isn't it? Because there's a certain uniqueness about Jesus. We can't die for the sins of the world. You know, we, we can't have the same capacity for good that Jesus had. Um, and yet, he calls on us to take up our cross and follow. He doesn't want us just to sit in the stands and go, wow, how awesome. But he wants us to have big hearts like him. And that means work. We need to work. Build your physical strength, right? We do this in exercise, don't we? Where we go, I'm flabby, my muscles are wobbly at the moment, and so I'm going to start working them out. Because I know if I work them out and just apply, discipline myself, I can build muscle. But, you know, we have all these sayings, no pain, no gain, you know, all that sort of stuff. Right? We get it with physical exercise, uh, but I, I want to say there's a bit of that going on here. That is, here, this feels like my capacity... But I'm going to ask God to expand, to give me a big-heartedness like Jesus. Uh, and so the Bible says a lot about good works. So thank you, brothers. I've um, made it hard on that. All right, so we're created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So you'll abound in every good work, bearing fruit in every good work. Right? We're not saved by doing good works, but we are saved to do good work. And you know the thing about good works? They involve work. But they are good, right? They're good works, right? But they are work, right? There's a deliberate choice of that, and that is it involves effort. Um, so the other thing about work is it expands your capacity for, for financial generosity. So I've got 1 Thessalonians 4, Ephesians. So the next lot of verses there, brothers, if, if I've got any yet. Uh, look at the second one, the Ephesians. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Right? We work so as not to be a burden to others, to provide for ourselves and our families, but also because it gives us capacity to be generous. All right, um, by George. Um, I've, I've taken a lot of time. Sorry, sorry Tim. I'm going I'm to wrap things up. Um, here's a summary of what we've done in the last few weeks. Uh, wh why, why be generous? Because it's more blessed to give than to receive. How much? As much as your heart leads you to. Uh, 
inspired by the Spirit, who to let your priorities and compassion direct your giving. And I just want to leave you with a practical step, and that is make a personal plan relating to your time and money. Maybe you did this last week, and good on you. Because it, I can't tell you exactly, like, this is a mess, isn't it? It's complex, and as I said, it can be painful as you pull something out uh, that, that actually has value to you, and you just go, it's not an easy thing to do. But it does require time and thoughtfulness. And so can I encourage you, if you're on your own, do it on your own. If, if you're married, do it together. Do actually think about what are our priorities and how is that reflected in our capacity? Uh, take time to do that. I'm going to lead us in prayer if you'll pray with me. God, our Father, you give us everything we have, life, health, food. You are so generous. Thank you for sending Jesus into our world that he gave up everything for us, even dying for our salvation, that he made us spiritually rich. Thank you that in his compassion he meets our greatest need and he brings us forgiveness and eternal life. Please help us follow Jesus so that his priorities become our priorities, so that his compassion becomes ours. Please give us big, generous hearts like Jesus for the sake of his kingdom and his glory. Amen.